Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So one small act can be a massive domino for goodness, for greatness, for belief, for hope, for growth, for all the things that we want to achieve in the world. You could be one decision away. You could be one action away. And that's what I hope that this story inspires for all of us. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn? And when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Man, am I fired up about this one. My guest today had a uber successful career in the NBA and the NFL as an executive. And he left in what he calls a Jerry Maguire leap to graduate from his career to his calling. And today he gets to speak to some of the most elite teams and organizations on the planet, like Amazon and NASA. Success Magazine calls him the top speaker that gets results. He's also the author of not one, but two bestsellers now, The Power of Playing Offense and his brand new book, Better Decisions Faster, which we're going to talk about today. And I'm super excited to dive in. I had the opportunity to get to go to the most epic book launch party, I think ever in the history of mankind at SoFi. I mean, who does their book launch party at SoFi Stadium, followed, mind you, by a concert? We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But I think that only happens when you have the type of career that this gentleman has had. When you're able to help sports teams reach revenue targets that no one thought was possible, when you're able to break records, Super Bowl records, mind you, you get remembered, you get noticed. I had the opportunity to meet him because of his amazing podcast, Win Monday, that we get to help produce. And he's the leader of the Win Monday community. This guy is electric. When you see his energy, you feel it. It's palpable. You can't deny the positivity that oozes from every ounce of his body. He is a world-class connector and somebody that I'm so grateful to call a friend. I'm honored to bring him on the show today. Please welcome Paul Epstein. Yeah, Billy, fired up to be here, brother. You know what? Everyone always says after an intro like that, that I'm going to try to live up to it. Game on, brother. We are going to live up to this together. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Well, I forgot one thing. You're also a bacon lover like me. But oh my gosh. But we differ, man. You don't like it crispy? What the? No. That's my first question. How do you, how do you not like it crispy, non-crispy no, bacon? No, 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 no. You, you know, you need a little bit of movement in it, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, so no, you know, what's funny is um, a quick childhood story. So uh, you can't tell by the last name of Epstein, but I'm a proud Mexican descent. And so even though I live in LA, a lot of my family's down in Mexico. And over time, a lot of folks have come uh, into SoCal. But long story short, fourth Christmas ever, I get a Christmas present, a big box, and there's a hole carved on the side. And I see a kind of a wet black nose sticking out of the box. And it turns out to be a puppy. So amazing, right? Like fourth Christmas, dude, this is epic. My family totally hooks me up with my first ever pet, and it's a puppy. So then fast forward. Fifth Christmas is coming up. Paul, what do you want? And I said, a pig. They said, what are you talking about? A pig. I'm like, well, I love bacon. And so they're like, dude, that's not how it works, bro. That, <laughs> that would not be the gift that keeps on giving. So yeah. anywho, I have loved bacon from a very young age. Thankfully, for the record, my family never got me that pig. And that is a good thing. And so here we are. You probably would have been able to keep it, but I, like you, am a huge bacon lover. I have a, a bacon shirt and my wife, who's the vegetarian, does not like me wearing it. But I will say, and she maybe doesn't want me to say this publicly, but she likes bacon too. <laughs> Even as a vegetarian, occasionally she'll cheat. And that's the one, and she hates it too, because she loves, she loves pigs. We all love pigs. How do you not yeah, love yeah, a pig? Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of love bacon more. Anyway, <laughs> all right, we're going to go from, from, from pigs and bacon to... A, a lot more serious conversation. Yeah. Because I want to get straight into this. Man, this is a this is a 180 turn, but tell me about age 19. Why was it such a pivotal mm. and life-changing age for you? Yeah, well, everybody listening into this as a hero, think of who your hero is, that person that you would go to the end of the earth and back for. And for me, it's my dad. He, no doubt, is my hero, will always be my hero, always was my hero. And I lost my hero at 19 years old. I still remember getting that phone call. I'm a freshman at USC. I'm taking my finals. It was 6 a.m. And I get that call that nobody ever wants to get. I'm an only child. And so, you know, that opened up a lot of now I can reflect back and say that's when my mom went from a parent to a partner. That's when she went from a mom to a best friend. But that's Monday morning quarterback. You know, like in the moment, you're not thinking like that. Like you're just like, dude, I, I lost my hero. I lost the most important person in my life. Like what the hell do I do? Like how do I put my life back together? And what really matters? And like just all these big things. But here's how I reflect on it now. My dad by trade was a continuation high school teacher. So in case you're not familiar with what continuation is, it's a kid's last chance. You know, they've been kicked out of traditional school often multiple times. They landed a continuation and there is no next stop. Been given up on and sometimes it's a broken home, a disadvantaged background. And the hope and prayer is that they don't go on to become a statistic on the street. And that's the environment that my dad chose after teaching in traditional school, and then he lands a continuation because he wanted to. It was his own way of making a better decision faster. And years after he passes, 
I remember being at a barber shop a few blocks away from where he taught at. And in walks in this seven foot tall man, tattoos all over his body and his face, like a scary looking dude, like somebody that if you saw in a dark alley, you would run the other way. And he and I, we lock eyes and he's coming right at me and I see his hand go up and I was totally expecting to see a fist. But instead, I saw a finger, a finger that was pointing right at me. And he said, are you Mr. Epstein's son? Yeah. You know, I thought it was you. You were like this tall on the side of the stage that I graduated from. And anyways, I just wanted to come over and say thank you. Thank you because your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. Thank you because your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow is worth it. And Billy, like, I'm in my early to mid-20s at this point. I didn't know there were people in the world that didn't think that tomorrow was worth it. So that's where I learned what real leadership is about. That's where I learned how personal it can get. That's where I learned what today my strongest core value of impact, the reason it's my strongest core value is because of my hero. I would fall on the sword for impact. I do everything I do for impact. I get out of bed to make a difference. I get out of bed to leave people in places better than I found them. And my dad may have chosen a classroom. I may have chosen a boardroom and now I choose a stage. But at the end of the day, it's about impact. And if I could have one-tenth of the impact that my hero had, then it'll be a great life. Such a powerful story. And one I had not heard, and I do a lot of research. So, I mean, uh, you know, when I hear something that I hadn't heard yet, I, I'm always touched by it and, and thankful that you have the opportunity to, to share that story. You've described the experiences really going from being a boy to being a man. And yeah. one of the things, another core value and something that you value deeply is courage. Talk a little bit about your dad and courage and how he helped to model courage. What's really cool about courage, Billy, is I glossed over my mom a little bit. I said a few things. Based on losing my hero and losing my pops, it was actually her that inspired courage. Because when I took that drive home from SC, 10-minute drive. We lived in Pasadena, California, right nearby the Rose Bowl. So up until that point, life was awesome and perfect and everything was all good. And then I remember walking in the front door and seeing one of the strongest people that I know, she's just lying on the ground. Like she's just bawling, you know? And, and she sees me and just mom zone. She just gets up and wipes herself off like if nothing happened, you know, because that's just how she rolls. She's a very strong Mexican woman. And I still remember embracing her and I still remember my shoulder being soaked. I'll never forget that hug. And I saw how she showed up that day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And so she shifts from this rock to this consoler, to this planner, to this healer. And it, it gets me back to, I always talk about inspiration and people call me an inspirational speaker. And I, I study all the things that people call me. And this is something that stuck with me. The Latin definition of inspire is to breathe life into. So what happened in that week 
that I saw how my mom showed up. She breathed courage into me and it never left. Courage is standing tallest when fear and risk are highest. Prior to this tragedy so early in my life, I would never have described myself as a courageous person. But now I consider it a superpower and it's all because of the worst day in my life. And I've just over the decades learned after healing how to turn it into one of the more positive and uplifting pieces of my life. But I had to go through a lot of pain to have this transformation. And so here we are today. And you know, I get to share this story with millions of people, keynotes all over the globe, that barbershop story I shared with you, Billy. Like, you know, think about that. All my dad did, and I'm not diminishing it, but think about this in its practicality. Because if you're out there, you're listening to this, and maybe you're not in the highest place of hope or belief or optimism right now. So I'm talking to you in that moment because we've all been there. And sometimes you get there because it feels like it would just take me so long to dig myself out of this deep, dark place. Yeah. But think about this. This one gentleman that came up to me in a barbershop and had the courage to share with me what my dad meant to him, how he believed in him, how he gave uh, him a reason to think that tomorrow is worth it. Mm. All it was was my dad treating one person well consistently, that one person coming up to me. And the ripple effect is now millions of people around the world have heard this story. So one small act can be a massive domino for goodness, for greatness, for belief, for hope, for growth, for all the things that we want to achieve in the world. You could be one decision away. You could be one action away. And that's what I hope that this story inspires for all of us. And how many untold stories are there, right? He made a point to come up to you, but who else had a similar experience with your dad? And just hearing how he said it, you're, you're Mr. Epstein's son. I mean, I just immediately just had an emotional response to those words. And I was going to save this for the end, but, but since we've already covered a few of your core values, I think it's appropriate that you have an interesting approach to core values. So one is you have a, some advice or a hack for somebody who wants to find their core values. So I want to talk about that. Yep. And then I also want to talk about why you suggest coming up with your own definition for core values. And then, yeah, I want to hear yours, of course. Absolutely. It's like a three. That's a three for one right there, man. I'm, <laughs> that's a three for one. Yeah. And I, we'll, we'll, uh, hey, so here's what I'm going to do. And I know this because I host a podcast too, Billy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit you with the first one. And if I forget what number two and three are, then yeah, you yeah. get me back on the train track, okay? Yeah, all right. Sure. So the first one is, all right, for everyone listening in, confidence to me is the ante to play. Confidence is the ante that we need to make better decisions faster. Confidence is the ante to play if you want to play offense in a world that is largely stuck on defense. And so confidence is the through line. Now, there is a hack. There is a formula. There is a transformation process that I coach to everybody from Olympians to NFL athletes to Fortune 100 CEOs to high growth founders and beyond. And it works 10 out of 10 times if you do the work and if you do it as consistent as I'm about to ask you to do it. But here's the formula for how you build and sustain unshakable confidence. Confidence equals values times action. I'll repeat that. Confidence equals values times action. The multiplication 
is the consistency by which you do it. So show me a person that consistently acts on their values. I will show you a confident person, period, point blank. So everybody agrees with that. Everybody hears that. They're like, all right, Paul, check. Got it. Makes sense. I'll take action. The problem is a lot of us don't know our core values. So if we don't know our values and we're just kind of swinging a bat without passion and purpose and intention, like it's not really our bat, you know? And, and so the, the, the quick hack, even if you're starting from scratch, look, the deeper way to do it, you, you hire a coach or you attend a workshop. Like I think that is the more long form way of finding your values. But let me give you three fast passes on how you can find your core values within minutes or days, depending which path you take. Within minutes, Google it. Google top list of personal core values. You'll get infinite lists, 50 words, 100 words. And what I want you to do is choose the one that jumps off the page. Choose the one that absolutely resonates to your core. So Google is your fast pass. Another hack could be ask the five people in the world that know you the best to describe you in a word. Parents, brother, sister, best friend, whoever. Who knows you the best? Hey, give me a word or two to describe me and boom. And you look for constant themes. If there's some overlap, don't ignore that signal. Don't ignore that cue. The third way is, it goes back to the way I described inspiration earlier, to breathe life into. What's a word that breathes life in you? When you think of a word that inspires you, that really gets you out of bed, if you have that word in your head and your heart, then don't ignore that cue either. So I just gave you three paths to get to the values. Now, here's the process. It's super simple, and here's the beauty. If you're as busy as I am, as busy as Billy is, busyness cannot be an excuse because this takes two minutes in a week. Two minutes in a week. So all of us have the bandwidth to absorb that. That's the beauty of it. Here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do. Journal once a week, and you're going to journal this. For the week ahead, I will live my value of blank by blank. The first blank is the value that you chose. So whether you Googled it or whatever process you landed on the one word, fill that in the first blank. The second blank is an action that you connect to the value. So let me riff on a couple of examples, Billy. All right, let's say that somebody listening in chooses the value of joy. So they would sit down and journal, for the week ahead, I will live my value of joy by mm. cooking my favorite meal. So Billy, for me and you, it might be us throwing some, some bacon on the pan, okay? <laughs> like, it would bring us joy. You're like, dude, of course I want that. But whatever your culinary choice is, yep. you do you. Most importantly, whatever you cook just brought you joy. That's what I care about. Okay, that's joy. Now let's get a little feistier. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. Instead of joy, let's go with one of my values. Let's go with courage. Journal, I will live my value of courage by having that challenging conversation that I've been putting off. You're not having that conversation because Paul said, you're having that conversation because courage is a core value. And that's two examples. Now, the last piece that is hypercritical, and Billy, this is also why New Year's resolutions suck and they don't work. <laughs> a, we um, lack process and system. So I, I rarely have process and system for my New Year's resolutions. I just say, I want this and I hope it works. Yeah. 
And besides not having a processor system, we also give up on it too soon. You know, we think transformation is going to happen by January 10th and then it's toast, you know, like we're like, ah, this clearly didn't work or this wasn't the right resolution. And then off we go. And then we sucker ourselves back into it 12 months later. Point being, if it doesn't become a habit, it will never stick and it doesn't count. If you don't internalize it, if it does not become muscle memory, don't waste your time. And so what the science will tell us, the research will tell us about habit formation is it typically takes between three and four weeks. In other words, if we don't pass the threshold of habit formation, we're wasting our time by pretending this journaling exercise is going to transform us. So I'm being brutally honest. If you just do this once, there is no permanent change in your life. If you just do it twice, there will be no permanent change or transformation. However, if you do it for four consecutive weeks, so a two-minute journaling exercise for four consecutive weeks, less than 10-minute commitment over the next 30 days can transform your life and create a new habit for you to consistently take action on the value that means everything to you. Here's the beauty. I've seen this with thousands of clients. Week one, it's awkward. You're going to force it. You're going to do that one action because the journal made you do it. Then week two, you'll do one, maybe two things. But then week three, it becomes four, five, six actions connected to that same core value. And by week four, it explodes. Usually you're doing a double digit number of actions connected to that one single word, that one single value. And then you internalize it. It's muscle memory. It just becomes a part of your DNA. It's part of your, your reticular activating system, not to get too geeky here, but your neuroscience is basically getting this chemical positive reaction of like, this feels amazing. Billy is consistently putting action against this one word, this one value, and it becomes a part of who Billy is. It was always inside of Billy, but he needed a process and a system like a journaling exercise to materialize it, to bring it to the surface. And then the consistency made it a part of who he is on a permanent basis. Billy, full transparency, I don't do the journal anymore because I don't have to. Mm -hmm. Because I took five months to journal each one of my five core values. So you stick with one value for month one, the next value for month two, the next value for month three. And dude, it's locked, brother. Like I am a man of courage, of impact, of authenticity, of growth and belief, and you can't do a damn thing about it. You can't. Mm. I just live those things, but it started with this process. Well, you, what I love about it is that you're memorializing it and making it, a, you're systematizing it through these, this journal exercise. Because everybody hears journal, 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 but now you've given very clear and specific instructions of what you're journaling, why you're journaling it, and how the actions follow that journaling. And to me, you know, your value times the action is, is, is really going to get you what, you what you're hoping to accomplish by living your life through your values. And you've mentioned your values. You have specific definitions for your values. And this is where I'm doing what you've asked, which is to remind <laughs> Getting us back on the train here, Billy. <laughs> no, but that was, dude, that was even that you went above and there was a line, a borrow that I wanted and you went like 10 levels above that. So thank you. So, hey, there's so many values out there. Go look for the values that exist. See what speaks to you. See yeah. what you, you could find on a heart level. What is, what is lighting you up? Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's going to give you fuel. It's going to, you're going to feel a connection to it, but you also suggest, and I think one of the things you've done is you've defined your values. And I think defining your values is such an interesting and cool way of, of making them personal to you. 
and also making them, I guess, in a more more sticky because you're gonna you're gonna feel an even greater connection to them. So talk a little bit about that. You mentioned your five values. Why do you suggest defining them yourself? You nailed it because then it's personal and things that are customized and tailored for you are more important, right? If, if I deliver a keynote, Billy, and I have the same exact script and the same exact words and the same exact 60-minute experience, I don't care if you're domestic or foreign. I don't care if you're insurance, real estate, or healthcare. I don't care if you're leaders or sales or engineers, and I give you the same talk. You think that's going to hit? Like You think that that's going to make me one of the top speakers in the world? Of course not. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Because now I'm not personalizing the flavor that speaks to that audience down to the individual level. When Netflix or whatever other streaming service, when they make recommendations for you, they're not guessing. They see your consumption. Totally. And after a while, they have enough analytics and they're like, this is what Billy consumes. Great. This is what Paul consumes. Awesome. Give the people more of what they want. We're all hardwired to be like, yeah, dude, I want to double down on things that matter to me, that mean something to me, that bring me joy and happiness and fulfillment and excitement. So here's the definition of the values. That's all I did. I don't need a Webster dictionary to tell me what growth, belief, impact, courage, authenticity mean. I don't really care what Webster thinks. I don't care. I care what Paul thinks. Because if Paul's going to have to live his values, make decisions because of his values, no one else is going to remind Paul to do that. So I need to make this an intrinsic motivator, not, a, not an extrinsic motivator. And defining it makes it feel more personal. So I'll just go rapid fire. Growth is the mindset that I'm going to attack each day with. Impact is making a difference and leaving people and places better than I found them. Remember that story about my dad. Courage is standing tallest when fear and risk are highest. Remember that story about my mom. I'm also getting at another signal here, Billy, and everyone listening in is that like you typically have a story behind your value. You don't just randomly choose it. There's some reason that that word means a lot to you. And to round out my values, authenticity, I define it as don't ever sell out because I once did. And that's when I hit rock bottom. So I have to go to a pain point of when I did sell out for a corporate goal. And, and, and I really like, uh, dude, I'm ashamed of that chapter of my professional career. But you know what? It served me a greater purpose. But that's why authenticity is a core value. And then belief. Belief is I will believe in others because I wouldn't be where I am without people believing in me. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of wraps my mind around this pure definition of paying it forward and humility. You know, people, they say, oh, Paul, he talks about confidence. He must be the most confident person. You know the type of people I want to surround myself with? People that simultaneously are growing in their confidence and their humility. I think that's the one-two punch. Too much of one is bad. Yeah. But one without the other, you're like, oh, gosh, all confidence? Like, relax there, Turbo. You know, too much humility, no confidence. You're like, oh my gosh, like it's, we all have had friends in that zone and you're like, okay, like, come on, like we're, we're trying to win. We're trying to grow. We're trying to succeed. So it's this beautiful balance. But anyways, that's a little bit of a tangent. Getting back to your piece, I just think that the definition allows you to personalize and make it matter more and mean more. And when things mean more, you're more likely to do it. Here's the psychology though. I don't need to motivate people when they feel motivated. 
I need motivation when I don't want to do it. That's the real test. And if your journey of putting your values in action are not personal, if they don't mean anything to you, if it doesn't matter, if you haven't found a deeper burn underneath it, then when it's inconvenient, you're not going to do it. That's what I have seen. I want to surround myself with people that do what they don't want to do in the unseen hours because they believe in it and because they care about it. That in a sentence, a long sentence is how I would describe people that win in life. People that do the things they don't want to do in the unseen hours because they believe in it and they care about it. That's it, brother. To me, that is the secret to life. And, and I loved how you reminded us to uh, attach a story. It's not just the definition, but is there a story that makes this real, that makes this have even more life and even more of a deep-rooted connection? Because you talk about belief and believing in others, even if they don't believe in themselves. I mean, going back to the story of your dad, right? So it's like when you could believe in other people and you know that story, how much it matters that your dad believed in, in that guy. Like that's, that's where it becomes so much more a part of who you are, of your DNA. You mentioned, so, you know, humility is something that I know is important to you as it is to me. And you're, you're a humble guy and you're a confident guy, but dude, your track record, your career record is off the charts, right? Like taking the Clippers from like 28 to two or something like that. And yeah. then, so, but also you had a, you had a, a moment in there. I think you alluded to it. I don't know if it's the same moment where your authenticity was challenged or questioned. I think you had a performance review or something like that. Uh -huh. So tell us a little bit about what happened and, and how that impacted you. 15 years in sports in a sales producing and then a sales leadership and then a sales executive role. So sales and biz dev was always the vertical. And the beauty of sales is there's a scoreboard. It's very transparent. It's very obvious. You know where you stand, you know where your team stands, where are we at, percentage to goal, all that fun stuff. Well, 15 years, and I'm proud, honored, and humbled to say that I was a part of teams that we achieved goal 14 out of 15 years. So we won a lot. We hit all but one quota, all but one metric. We made a lot of people happy. We made a lot of companies money, and our resumes grew. Our LinkedIn profile looked sexier and sexier. And the ladder has just become more abundant. And the world, when, when you sell a lot of things and you produce a lot of things and you break a lot of records, including Super Bowls and open up billion-dollar stadiums, the world says bravo. <laughs> and then the corporate world says here's more title, money, and responsibilities. That's how the game works. And I was winning. My teams were winning. We were winning. And I, at some point, you get so consumed by that game. And I lost myself at some point in that climb. You know, I'm very proud, Billy, of my entry-level manager, figure it out. You go from player to coach and, oh man, now I'm responsible for a team and the team that I used to be a part of. And I'm not telling you it was pretty, but I'm telling you that I was authentic. I'm telling you that I was just Paul and I was a real dude. And I inspired people to be their best. I believed in them when they didn't believe in them. All the things we've talked about in this conversation. Paul was a 10 out of 10 in those areas of he was authentic. And, you know, when you're winning, you don't, now I know to study my losses, but what if you're not losing a lot? 
Right. And what if the world tells you how amazing you are and you're kind of blind to growth and development that takes you out of your comfort zone? You mm -hmm. don't want to hear the hard news because you're like, look at the scoreboard. You're looking <laughs> totally. at the scoreboard, right? And it wasn't until I was at the Niners. It's been about uh, eh, four or five years there. It was about halfway through my time at the Niners. And I remember, that my, mind you, my journey, because we haven't unpacked it in detail. I was LA, New Orleans, Sacramento, all in the NBA. Then I go to Jersey and New York, work for a global agency that was owned by the Yankees and Cowboys. That's how it lands me at the NFL League office. That's where we break the revenue records. Levi Stadium is opening up in the Bay and the Niners create an executive level role for me. So that's 15 years in about 10 seconds. Okay, let me catch my breath here. So I'm back at the Niners. And again, all of this, like a decade plus streak of winning. I get in a review, mind you, this was after a retreat that I really did a lot of self-discovery work. So I now knew my core values, but it was really fresh off of that experience. It was within a couple months. And I don't know if you've ever had this feeling, Billy, or for everyone listening in, have you ever felt like you were winning on the outside, but you didn't feel like you were winning on the inside? Mm -hmm. You know, like the world is telling you you're crushing it, but you don't feel like you're crushing it. Like something's off. Like there's a little bit of tension. It, I don't know. Is it, I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. I'm, man, like, why am I doing this? Like, I don't feel purpose. There's a bunch of different shades of this. It's a very gray kind of space. But like at the end of the day, you just know it's not perfect. And the problem with sales is when you hit goal, everyone says, attaboy, Polly, keep it up. Attaboy, Polly, keep it up. And normally I would take that pat on the back and I would just exit the meeting and off we go another year and more growth and more success and more trophies and wins for everybody. But now I think because of that personal transformation I went through where now I knew about authenticity, I knew about other things, authentically I knew something was off. So when I was told in another review, because we hit goal, attaboy Polly, keep it up. And I did stand up from the chair at the end of the review, and I was about to leave the team president's office. I, the team president was my boss. And I turned around, and I said, Al, can you just give me one thing? One thing I just want to get better. And he said, absolutely, buddy. Have a seat. So I sit down, and he gives me a quote from Roosevelt. A lot of us have heard this one, but it was really impactful for me in this moment. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And he kept talking, but I don't remember a word after that <laughs> because I went numb. Mm. Because in that moment, I knew that I had sold out. I knew that he was telling me in a nicer way that my team doesn't think I care about them. And that was such a shitty feeling because my heart cared but my actions weren't showing it. And that's all my team cared about. They cared about how I showed up, not that I had good intentions. And in that moment, I just realized like, how long have I been in this place? Like, how long have I not, how long have I said people first, but maybe didn't show it? And I'll never know the answer to that, but I do know that I deserve that comment. And I do know that I have leveraged this comment and this rock bottom moment to be like, Paul, don't you ever sell out again. I don't care what the company is. I don't care what the goal is. I don't care what the, they, I don't care. You never go against who you are because Billy, had I stayed pure to who I am, I'm not getting that feedback. So sure. Now 
I know there's a positive that came out of that rock bottom moment, but that's why authenticity is a core value. Values are either what light you up or when they're violated, it's what pisses you off. So when I realized how much this bothered me, it reinforced that authenticity is the right core value. Dude, so powerful. And, and for so many reasons, I think the, the key part of what you're saying is when you ever do anything that doesn't align with who you are and who you feel, it hurts, man. It hurts because your intentions might've been in the right place. Your heart might've been in the right place. You might've in your, in your mind thought, oh yeah, I, I believe all these things, but your actions weren't aligned with what you wanted to be for your team. Um, and thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. So in a minute, we're going to get into decisions, which is the core of your book. And we'll finish up our conversation talking about decisions. Before we do, there's one other person that I want you to highlight. And this person said this, how is this belief serving you? And what is this belief costing you? Who is that person and why was she so significant in your life? My executive coach, Sue Ann, who was speaking of values and making decisions and taking actions connected to your values, growth being a core value of mine, growth, the mindset that I'm going to attack each day with is my definition. I then followed up a personal definition with Paul, take one swing of the bat per value, do one action based on growth. And this was separate from journaling. This was after. And I said, if I'm about growth, Paul, do something you said you would never do. And that something turned out to be going back to school because I said, I'll never go back to school, but now growth <laughs> mindset, I'll grow. Hey, Paul, you said, you said, and I landed in school and Sue Ann changed my life. She was a part of the Michigan Ross School of Business, executive coach. First time I ever had a coach in my life. And I went there and she got me to realize that I had some self-limiting beliefs and a lot of what was keeping me in sports were self-limiting beliefs. She felt I was bigger than that. She believed in me. She gave me this gift of confidence. And she taught me a lot of what I know now about how to overcome self-limiting beliefs. And I, like everyone listening in here, we're all guilty of it. We're all prisoners of it. Our mind can be a tricky beast. And what she got me to realize is since there's so many things that we often challenge, we're often our own worst enemy. And I was in that tribe as well. And the thing about self-limiting beliefs is when she got asked me and she coaches this to, I mean, the who's who of the fortune hundreds. I mean, she is just a total badass. She's amazing. But most importantly, she changed my life. That's how I'll always think about her. And when she got me to realize that like, A, how is this belief serving you? And also, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. Look, self-limiting beliefs like, oh, I'm not enough or, oh, I'm not worthy or, oh, like who would ever want to hire me, date me, like all these things, like all these things, right? Oh, I can't do that because dot, dot, dot. Like they're just self-limiting beliefs. And she got me to realize that they never serve you for one, if you really audit it. And then she also got me to realize that they're often not even our own beliefs. They stem from our background, our upbringing, our society, or our friends, or our teachers, or our enemies, or our, somebody planted some seeds, and our mind is conditioned for stability and security and comfort and not taking risk and uh, not succumbing to or or you know falling back because of fear or whatever. And once she untangled the cobwebs in my mind, once she got me to process 
the pollution out of my mind by understanding that self-limiting beliefs do not serve me in a positive way. And she also got me to realize that I was not even the originator of some of those beliefs. That was my ticket to be like, I just cannot be a prisoner of my own self-limiting beliefs anymore. And I kid you not, Billy, nobody is perfect, but I will tell you right now, it's very rare that I have a self-limiting belief. And if I do, what Sue Ann did for me is it's a one-day problem. I don't let it become a losing streak. If I have a self-limiting belief on Tuesday, I promise you it will not pollute my Wednesday. And I think that's a massive gift. And it's so true too, because we all have, one of my guests called it the beast in our head. The beast mm, in our head yeah. is talking, but it's up to us. How do we handle that? How do we adjust for that? How do we hear or tune it out or turn down the volume? So she asked you, Sue Ann asked you, she helped you with your limiting beliefs and she also helped you really transition into what you're doing now. And I know one of the things that she asked you a couple of questions. I don't know if you remember these questions at the top of mind, but can you share some of the questions that she asked you to guide you on your path to, to take your Jerry Maguire leap, yeah. right? And to go from your career to your calling. Well, without Sue Ann, I don't know if I make a better decision faster. I, I don't know if I take a Jerry Maguire leap. I don't know if I stay the rest of my life in sports where I was winning on the outside, but not winning on the inside. Like I, I owe her a massive amount of credit. And the question she asked, when I first sat down with her and I was still at the Niners, she got me to do an audit. And she said, Paul, I know what you do. You're a head of sales for an NFL team. What do you love about it? What do you hate about it? And what do you tolerate? So I, everyone listening in right now, do that audit. What do you love? What do you hate? What do you tolerate? And you can do this about a job, about a relationship. Like you can really like do this on almost anything. And when, when I answered them, and then she said, go deeper on the love bucket. And I answered people and culture and coaching. And then she said, what percentage of your time do you do that? And I said, 20%, which I probably padded up. It was probably like 10%. <laughs> and then she goes, okay, you become your boss. Does that number 20% go up, down, or sideways? And I was like, oh my gosh, my boss is almost all strategy, no people. So Anne, I think it goes down. And then she hit me with the magical question of, so what are you after? And it's such a simple question but it had such profound meaning. I was ready to hear it. I was ready to embrace it. I was ready to make decisions because of it. I was ready to take actions because of it. Because Billy, I was so busy climbing and growing and winning and succeeding. I couldn't remember the last time that I asked myself, why am I doing it? And what am I after? Mm. She got me to realize that I don't want what's next in the ladder. I'm obsessed about climbing a ladder and I no longer even believe in the ladder. And when I found that out, that's where the Jerry Maguire leap became one of the easiest decisions of my life. I didn't do it the next day. It still took eight, nine months, whatever it was, but I was just trying to figure out what to do next. Mentally, I left that conversation knowing I was going to leave sports and it was because of the confidence that she inspired into me. Mm. Well, to your point in your book, better decisions faster. It's not better decisions. It's not fast decisions. It's faster. And so I think that's a really, really important distinction to make because big life decisions, they don't, to make them fast might be the wrong advice, right? And so faster. And so let's get into the, the book. Yeah. You, you, dude, I was like high-fiving you, especially when you talked about your quality of life comes down to your decisions and your actions. 
In fact, I, I, I don't know if you've seen this leadership video. There's a great leadership video. It talks about followership and people who people follow. They say people follow people because of the decisions they make, a little bit different, and the inner and the interactions, interactions they have. So a little mm-hmm. nuance. It's not actions, it's interactions. I love it. I love it. Yeah. But that's that's why and it's a great video. I'll send it to you. I used to use this at trainings at Tesla and Solar City. People follow people because of the decisions they make and the interactions they have with those people, which an interaction is, is a version of an action. So actions would be a lot more broad. And you're talking quality of life versus followership and leadership. But dude, so, so, so valuable. So let's let's get into the equation, okay? Yeah. There's, there's an equation you have. Share that equation because that's going to guide the, the path to, through the rest of the conversation. Absolutely. So it wasn't just about writing a book called Better Decisions Faster because you can inspire people through that message and they say, duh, of course I want to make better decisions faster. I think the million dollar follow-on is how. How do I make better decisions faster? Like, Paul, come on, dude, help me with a little bit of application and implementation. So for all of you that care a lot about the how, me too, here's how. I call it the head, heart, hands equation. To quickly define them, head is your mindset, heart is your authenticity, hands are action. The equation is head plus heart equals hands. In other words, when deciding whether to use your hands, whether to take action, there's two checkpoints, head and heart. Head, do I think it's a good idea? Heart, do I feel it's a good idea? And just like a traffic signal, you know exactly what to do. Green, you go. Red, you stop. Yellow, you assess. And that's how the equation works. When you're heading your heart around board, it is a green freaking light. Take action. 10 out of 10 times. Go, go, go. No head, no heart, red light. Don't do it or stop doing it. And a yellow light, you solve for the gap. So Billy, everybody out there, I wrote the playbook, Better Decisions Faster, to fill our lives with an abundance of green lights. I wrote Better Decisions Faster to have the awareness to stop running reds. (laughs) And I wrote the book, Better Decisions Faster, to navigate and conquer the messy middle of yellow. That's better decisions faster. How do we handle that messy middle? Because I think- Totally. We've all been there. Like our mind might be saying one thing, our heart saying something else, you know, or vice versa, or we're just not sure. That's another thing is like, I'm trying to make out what my head's saying, but I'm I'm confused. I waffle, I go back and forth. One minute I'm, because our mind is, dude, you know this, our mind is is a- very fickle. It doesn't always, doesn't always, uh, you know, stay consistent. So what, what do we do about this messiness? Absolutely. Yeah. And as I know, we're coming down the home stretch. This is exactly why I wrote the book because to be very transparent and look, if you want to support Paul and if you want to make better decisions faster, greens and reds, now that I made you aware of them, you don't need a book for greens and reds. You really need a book for the yellows. (laughs) 80% of our hard decisions are in the yellow green and red are about awareness. But I believe the payoff and the biggest transformation in my life was figuring out how to navigate and conquer the messy middle of yellow. That's the juice. So here's what we do. For everyone out there, think about this. Head or heart, which one do you think has the potential to change over time? 
And based on our conversation today, Billy, we've talked about mindset shifts. Like our mind can grow, our mind can evolve, our head, we may have some clouds in there today, but I could have a better week next week and a better mindset in a month and a, a transformed mindset in a year. We all believe that to be true. I'm not saying it's easy, but we believe that. But when's the last time you woke up with a different heart? Mm. When's the last time that on Monday your heart was out and Tuesday it was in? Said nobody ever. You know, like your heart ain't gonna change. So that's why not all yellows are created equal. There's a good yellow and a bad yellow. The bad yellow is when your head is on board because your heart is never gonna join for the party. Never, never. It's just not. So this yellow has no potential of becoming a green. And if yellows cannot become greens, those can be a very slow death. I'll give you a quick example on the professional side, but look, you could apply this to any relationship. You could apply this to a personal relationship. Professionally, I used to run big sales teams and you have a top producer, they sell the most widgets in the company, but sometimes they're really difficult to manage. Like, Man, dude, like you are tough, right? Like we've all been around those people. So your head says, keep them, but your heart knows they're not a keeper but you, you keep them because of goals and pressure and expectations and, oh, we want to exit or, oh, 90 day numbers or whatever. So you keep them, but then months and years go by and the compounding effect of them being toxic in your locker room, now you've got a culture problem. Now you've got engagement problems. Now you've got retention problems. Now the market knows about it. So you got recruiting problems. And I always tell folks in my consulting practice, I say, you don't have engagement, recruiting, or retention problems, you have yellow light problems. Yellow lights lead to all, yellow lights are the root cause. Those other things are just the symptoms. So when I come in, I'm like, dude, let's, let's cut this from the root, you know? And I don't just mean people, like there's, there's yellow lights all around us and things and processes and systems and bureaucracy and politics and like all these things, right? Because that's a bad yellow. The opposite yellow though, there's so few things in life, Billy, that your heart is all in. Your heart is a hell yes. So when you find these precious few, brother, you stay in that fight. You stay in the fight because that's the juice of life. That's the vitality. That's what takes you from living to feeling alive. That's what transforms purpose from a very distant out of reach North Star to a 365 operating system. That's the stuff. And I have found that for the folks that are already being transformed because of this playbook of better decisions faster, they're thanking me for how to navigate that messy middle of yellow because they're cutting ties with a lot of the bad yellow and also they're being more resilient with the good yellow when their heart is telling them to stay in the fight. Dude, we could talk for, for hours and I, I wanna just say thank you, thank you, thank you, my friend. I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed and for anyone who wanting to dive in deeper and really understand how to navigate that, that messy middle, how to navigate through those yellow lights, pick up the book. And what you'll find is some really, really cool frameworks, some cool stories. You'll learn about what Venus Williams and improv actors have in common. You'll learn about why he suggests to own your own weather system. You'll learn about positive leadership and some amazing people who influence him. And one of the topics that I love is this idea of assuming positive intent, something that I learned at Tesla. You'll learn why we should leverage hunger as a force multiplier, why we should think about mo momentum and, and break the needle 
when it comes to momentum. So check out the book and also go to paulepsteinspeaks.com. You can take a confidence quiz there. You could also learn more about all the work that he does to support companies and really do the things that he's been able to do to make an impact. The through line of your life, Paul, and I think the thing that anyone listening can feel is your ability to make an impact. So, of course, let me forget, Win Monday podcast, Win Monday community, check out the shows, join the community so you can be an impactor as well. What did I miss? <laughs> yeah, well, look, LinkedIn and Instagram is going to be an amazing place where I engage heavily and I'm in the trenches. But paulepsteinspeaks.com is the home. If you lead a team, lead an organization, like you said, Billy, fired up to meet you at the 50 and explore a potential speaking engagement. And if you're an individual listening to this, besides heading to Amazon to pick up the book, Better Decisions Faster, that confidence quiz, I don't want to gloss over that. At paulepsteinspeaks.com, I have a confidence quiz in the main nav bar. In less than five minutes, it will give you a confidence score of one to 100. And then when we email you the result, and this is all free, by the way, when we email you the result, then we hook you up with the 12 keys to build and sustain unshakable confidence because confidence to me is the ante to play to make these better decisions faster. So that's my plug, man. Like I, I fully believe that until you know where your confidence stands and you're committed to the journey and actually as a tease, that value journal that we all get so geeked up about, in the resource that's emailed to you after you take the confidence quiz, I have a template and a worksheet so you could do the values journal there. So how's that for a little gravy on top? Love it, man. And, and Thanksgiving's coming up, so we'll take it with some mashed potatoes. <laughs> I was a You 70- put gravy on your bacon, dude? Like dude, you, you do that? <laughs> I hope dude, not. It- <laughs> there was a food truck called Lardon and it was all bacon and they had they had bacos, bacon tacos. So oh my it gosh. doesn't exist. Dude, funny story, very quick. Yeah, yeah, I you're good. I literally good. saw it I was going the opposite direction and I made a U-turn. <laughs> this is so, this can't make this yeah. stuff up. I literally popped both tires, making a U-turn, trying oh to get some bacon tacos. Uh, so yeah, oh, I love bacon that this much. Is so good. I am starving. <laughs> I am. It's yeah. And it's, and it's lunchtime. Okay. So finish up this last, this last question. What do you want on your tombstone? A man of purpose, happiness, a spirit of playing offense and a man that went all in for every green light that mattered, starting with Myra, PJ, and soon to be second son. Those are the biggest green lights in my life. That's it. Paul Epstein, thanks for meeting me at the 50 and thanks for being on Inside Out. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.